Hello, and welcome to this episode of the ESET Research Podcast. I'm ESET's distinguished researcher and your host, Ari Goretsky. Today, we're going to have a discussion about the survivability of computers and networks, specifically how long you could expect them to stay up and working without access to what's become an increasingly critical infrastructure for our daily lives, the internet. Joining me today is our specialized security researcher, Cameron Camp, who actually is the person who came up with this topic, and not just that, but interviewed me about it for ESET's own We Live Security blog. So, uh, yes, listener, that means I'm interviewing Cameron about him interviewing me. But um, don't worry about that, though. I promise things will get a lot stranger. Cameron, welcome back to the ESET Research Podcast. Thanks so much, Ari. And this is an interesting subject uh, about how long would your tech work in a digital vacuum. Let's say your network access gets shut down, geopolitical events, any number of events. question is how secure will you be and for how long? So it used to be that your computer basically functioned fine on its own in standalone mode. But now there's uh, continually cloud apps, there's a variety of connectivity. And so, and part of that is your security software updating itself and your your security defenses updating themselves. So probably when you start it out, you may not know your computer is going to probably work okay. And then if you have browser apps, you know, Office 365 and the like, you of course have the problem there, but... But eventually things to start to catch up with you and things might start to break. So your cloud backup's not going to be happening. Um, but then but then the question is, is what about the security? How long would it really take to di- you know digitally weaken until you become more and more vulnerability? And of course it, it wouldn't all happen at once. Um, you know, some tech is going to respond better than others in a standalone mode. Uh, but uh, as it becomes more critically linked to the cloud, that's less so the case. So the question is, is with our Windows security expert, Ari Goretsky, uh, as we've already met, uh, how long would you be safe and what's the first sign you'd see in functionality degradation and how soon would you be that begin to be a factor? Well, that that's a great question. It, it's kind of a complicated one. I think it's it's going to very much depend. Windows and other modern operating systems, uh, Mac OS, Linux, are very much used to getting their updates through the cloud, or e- even if it's from a, a centralized uh, work server, at some point that eventually connects back to the operating system manufacturer. And the updates are pushed from that to the enterprise and then out to the endpoints. But, you know, one thing that I I think we have to think of is if the operating systems, the applications are not receiving security updates because there's no Internet access, it's entirely possible that the threats, uh, which at least those are which are Internet born, uh, going to be the majority of them, um, are not going to be able to get in either. So there may be some kind of a, a balance or a homeostasis, if you want to call it that, achieved 
between uh, the attacker and defender. In the case that we're talking about uh, an outage not due to a natural disaster or some event that is not intentional, connectivity could be up and running uh, and protection would just resume, machines would patch. In the event that this is a, a purposeful uh, um, attack, then you know, we could be dealing with the fact that there might be implants on the network, on the computers that have been waiting for some predetermined time or predetermined signal uh, to begin their malign activity. And I suppose loss of internet connectivity could be one of those triggers. So, so, and there's a lot riding on top of your computer, the apps that you use, the cloud-based access that you need for things like Salesforce, NetSuite, whatever you do for your job, or however you interact with social media. What about the platform itself? What about the Windows platform, maybe uh, specifically, what happens security-wise, uh, and when does it happen? Well, um, for years now, uh, Windows has had a model of delivering updates on a monthly basis. And the operating system uh, is basically configured out of the box to uh, check for updates uh, on a daily basis uh, throughout the day and install those as needed. Um, if none are present, um, of course, Nothing happens. It just goes about its business. But um, there is a point where the operating system itself will recognize that it has not received any updates for a while, and it's going to start being a little bit more, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it aggressive, but um, trying to make the user aware of the situation that it may be out of date. Um this could be in the form of pop-ups, uh, asking the user to check, uh, notifications um, in the activity center, uh, system notification tray, depending upon which version of Windows uh, is being used. Um, and eventually, um, you'll even see uh, some, I wouldn't call them intending to be scary, but uh, notifications that the computer is missing important security and reliability updates. Now, it will continue to run, um, but uh, these notifications will also uh, be there present in the operating system. And so it'll become more insistent, is what you're saying. And, and so that begs a question. Um, a lot of specialty applications that we still see out in the wild are running older operating systems, uh, some that really were in play uh, before before the idea of cloud first and mobile first came out. So, are the older operating systems going to be better in a digital vacuum, or or worse? Well, that that is kind of the question. Um, in in enterprises, operating system updates are traditionally distributed through the enterprise's own update servers, uh, which they manage. Um, and I, I kind of got into this uh, before, but at, at some point, those themselves will be uh, looking for those updates that aren't there. In an enterprise environment, though, you have a, a greater ability to control um, the, these types of messaging 
about when update about when updates are applied and and you know what the user sees. So in a sense, that kind of gives a grace period. And with these older applications that you know weren't designed um, meant to be used in the era of pervasive internet access, um, they might work and um, hold up better um, in terms of being able to function. But at the same time, you know, they are older. They're not necessarily going to be uh, able to get the security updates that you would occasionally expect something to get. So, so it depends on the corporate context. Um, And I should imagine a lot of the embedded systems, which have been running good for basically decades, um, you know, that's kind of a case-by-case basis. The question is, on the secure, back to the security stack. Um, if you're running ESET products, how, do, how, do, how does ESET do in that same context? You know, ESET dates back to the, the dawn of the DOS antivirus era when updates were something you received on a floppy diskette or downloaded over a uh, modem uh, from a bulletin board system. And so uh, the concept of updates is not something that is unknown to us, of course. Uh, it goes back, you know, the 30 years. But um, like other cloud-aware, uh, through cloud-native uh, applications, we do rely um, on network connectivity for everything from uh, updates to uh, fixing false positives, uh, checking the security status of the computer. And, you know, if you're still installing new software, um, our telemetry systems are going to need to look at that and determine... Yeah, is it something that's widely used, being deployed? Is it something that's unknown? Um, and all of that will have some kind of impact when the internet isn't there. But while ESET software is cloud ready, it is not cloud native in in this context. That you know, there's still protection being provided at the local level on the machines. And also at the network level, the servers that those endpoints connect to uh, for management. Um, you know, we have multiple layers of detection um, all running um, on the file system, on uh, network interfaces, uh, you know, all the places where a threat can get in. And so those are, are up and they are running. Um, but over time, there is going to be some detection uh, capability degradation as the endpoints become increasingly out of date. So basically, it would start; it would fade in terms of overall protection over time, um, depending on the variables. Now, the question is, if you knew that there was going to be some event where you were going to get shut off from the internet, what technology? should you look into now and what could, what should you study now if you anticipate this possibly happening in the future? Well, you know, again, I, I think it, um, you're going to want to seriously consider whether or not 
you can deploy your business and rely on cloud-native, cloud-first apps that are only available if you have pervasive connectivity to the internet. You may not have that. Um, you may have access to some parts uh, in the event that there's firewall uh, between you and what you're trying to get to um, or a routing issue. You know, another possibility is you may have internet access, but it has, you know, shrunk down from one of these giant internet pipes to a comparative width of a soda straw. And those applications are just not going to work well over that. So you need to have some balance of applications that can take advantage of that and work when the uh, pipes are there and strong, but also can continue to run and work and be effective independently when there is little to no uh, internet connectivity at all. Uh, in the case of security software, making sure that it has robust layers of protection that will still be quite effective for some time, um, even if they don't receive an internet uh, update, uh, is going to be pretty important. Okay, so you've got a plan. And so let's let's talk for a moment about physical safety. Let's say you have to sort of go suddenly. You have to grab your tech and you have to go. Um, how does that change the whole picture? What, what changes when that happens? We lived in an era of, of highly mobile computing and workforces for years. So with, um, the move to work from home over the, uh, past few years, uh, since, uh, COVID-19, uh, showed up, I think a lot of businesses are agile enough that they can expect their, uh, workers to work from home or from an alternative location. Uh, provisioning that, I think, is something that's largely been handled. But on the other hand, because they are no longer in the office on networks that you can control, um, it becomes really important to make sure that um, the network connections are secured uh, through things like uh, VPNs, virtual private networks, and that those are secured and updated, that users are logging in using multi-factor authentication so that there's no ability for uh, an intruder or an attacker to spoof them. Um, so that becomes increasingly important to, to have trust that your employees, uh, workers in your organization are going to be able to safely keep working um, no matter where that might be from. And so let's say you've got a plan and for some reason you need to disconnect. Somebody's made the decision for you. You've made the decision, whatever the circumstances are. Um, if companies are going to the cloud only or subscription only versions of software, so you don't really own them, so how are you going to deal with this in the future if the cloud or cloud apps gets disconnected? Most of those are robust enough so that they can handle some amount of disconnection for some time. Um, but there are finite limits to how much can be stored locally, uh, cached, 
and how long um, the systems will wait before credentials expire, users have to log back in, at which point if they can't reach uh, things or authenticate, um, that's kind of at the point where work gets impacted and you start having slowdowns or even stoppages uh, until, you know, full connectivity or enough limited connectivity resumes uh, to bring those cloud applications in sync with the, the cloud servers. So local caching, I mean, they have the ability to cache information locally as some more or less, and I think it depends on how intensive that is, uh, how data intensive that is, how much can be stored, for example, in browser applications, which, you know, clearly there's a lot of that going on. What about, um, what about targeted attacks? I mean, think about we see nation states taking a more active role in, in targeted exploits, uh, especially against a particular geographically determined you know, adversary, uh, people in this area, people in that area. Um, is there a specifically from the defender's perspective, is there a way to specifically block attacks coming from a specific area if on, you know, d- against your geographical area? Or how do you manage that? That's kind of a, a difficult topic to address because what an attack is and where it originates from uh, can often be hard to determine. In in the case of having a known threat actor who is targeting you, um, you may have enough threat intelligence to know the common places, uh, ranges of IP addresses, uh, ASNs um, that they are connecting from and you know, be able to block those. But you would have to assume that an adversary resourced at the nation state level is going to have a, for lack of a better term, a, a robust attack infrastructure um, at their hands uh, to use. Then again, if, if the connectivity is completely gone, they would have had to rely on implants uh, that had been installed um, while there was connectivity, um, or even as much as uh, having uh, an insider, which brings up a kind of an ugly concept of insider threats during wartime. Yeah, that brings up a huge subject of the insider threat in general. And uh, if you have somebody implanted in your supply chain and you're not aware of it, cause huge, uh, huge issues later. So uh, that'll be an interesting thing for some time to come. The people will be defining, you know, what, how to detect insider threats. Well, so this, thanks to the answers and in a strange juxtaposition, I mean, usually I'm the one uh, being interviewed, but in this case, um, it's interesting to hear your answers about this, and and uh, I'm curious to curious to hear what else uh, we have to talk about. And um, thank you. Well, uh, thank you for interviewing me and uh, passing the um, microphone baton there, um, Cameron. Uh, one question that I have for you is, how did you come up with this topic in the first place? I feel that for the longest time in technology, 
we were trying to solve real technical challenges. I mean, computer speed, network speed. Now, there was a lot of there was a lot of issues, and just the just the physical hardware, and there was everybody trying to solve the problem. And then, um, as human nature happens, um, there are reasons other than just trying to build the best technology trying to make it accessible to everyone that tend to crop up and then and, and people start to think of technology as just not agnostic or neutral they start to think about it with another lens and another ambition and of course um you know we all need computer computing day to day so as ours as security people is how do we enable and empower people continue to do that and so that the uh, basically the the bad guys don't don't take over and wreck things. And uh, regardless, everybody everybody increasingly needs access to technology, and we don't want to see vast swaths of the internet or computational capability shut off for some other reason that's uh, not really productive. So that was part of the question, and we started a long dialogue between RU and I. As to how to approach this as as security people, how what should we what should we let people know about? So it was a very interesting discussion. Um, referring back to our um, a blog post on the subject, um, it may actually be that some of the answers to these these challenges that are facing us in the future are actually located in the past. Um, looking back at the era when uh, computers largely operated on internal networks or standalone mode um, with no network connectivity or very limited and infrequent network connectivity. And the ability of software to access and change the hardware was a lot more limited uh, than it is now. Um, But that's something that you can hear about in our, excuse me, you can read about in our blog post. Cameron, thank you for joining us today. And um, again, this was a fascinating uh, discussion, uh, both to talk about and write about. And um, I hope you'll be uh, joining us again in the future with similar thought-provoking topics. Happy to be here. And as we close our podcast, um, I'd like to just share some uh, parting thoughts with all of our listeners. This podcast was recorded um, during fall of 2022. Uh, the war in Ukraine has gone on for over half a year, and um, Ukrainians have largely been holding their own against the Russian invaders. This is a type of war that's taken place on multiple fronts uh, between those countries, but it's also taken place in multiple domains, most notably cyberspace, uh, the internet, whatever you'd like to call that. ESET has been there uh, helping out uh, with the defensive Ukraine, and we are, not, we are not alone in that. Obviously, many security companies are, many agencies from many governments are as well. Um, the internet has changed a lot of things, um, including what gets targeted during a war. Regardless of what happens uh, on the internet, um, 
we should keep in mind that none of these attacks that we are aware of um, have led to the loss of life. Um, yes, securing the internet is important. Keeping services available, computers up and running, is important. Um, but it's not the same as defending against a barrage of rockets or bullets or mines or all the, the horrible tools of war. Our thoughts go out uh, to everyone who's been affected by this, and we hope for a resolution to the hostilities. This has been an episode of the ESET Research Podcast, sharing discussions of attacks and attackers, defenses and defenders, and the best of ESET's research. This discussion involved ESET's researchers from around the world, but was edited and produced at ESET's headquarters in Bratislava, Slovakia, the crossroads of Europe. Until next time, stay safe online.